This is The Leaders We Need with Joel Harder, a podcast going beyond the politics and policies to focus on the people who lead in our communities, states, and nation. Conversations that restore the civility we need in our politics, while promoting the integrity we need in our leaders. The Leaders We Need with Joel Harder, a resource from Oklahoma Capital Culture. Well, welcome back to The Leaders We Need. I'm your host, Joel Harder. Today's episode will feature the first half of a roundtable discussion on race hosted by Oklahoma Governor Kevin Stitt and First Lady Sarah Stitt. The roundtable discussion was part of a series of conversations on race with Governor Stitt and organized by Oklahoma Capital Culture. Another of these roundtable conversations is already available in previous episodes of The Leaders We Need. Now, where the previous roundtable looked specifically at issues of economic challenges among minority-owned businesses and in underserved communities, this roundtable gathered together leaders in law enforcement with community leaders working for some time in the area of racial reconciliation. The governor and first lady hear reflections to the death of George Floyd in Minneapolis, underlying problems to racial divisions in society, and consider practical steps we can all take to begin building bridges across racial divides. Participants in the roundtable include Chief Todd Gibson from the Moore Police Department in Moore, Oklahoma, Captain Marcus Williams of the Cleveland County Sheriff's Office, Pastor Herbert Cooper, who leads a large and diverse congregation at People's Church, and Clarence Hill, founder of Stronger Together. Clarence Hill published an op-ed in The Oklahoman just a few days before this conversation took place. And in the op-ed, he identifies the problem of what he calls ethnic social distancing. A link to this op-ed is included in the show notes of today's episode. Now, Clarence Hill's concept of ethnic social distancing is similar to the problem of disagreement in public discourse and in the policymaking community that we talk about often at Capital Culture. It's not just that a diversity of ideas and even those that are in conflict with each other need to be heard because they are valid, but they are valuable. But we are often uncomfortable with disagreement, and we tend to avoid it. But when we lean in to disagreement, we gain clarity in our own positions, can find value and valuable insights from others, and we arrive at better, more sophisticated solutions and policies. We also get better at navigating disagreement in the future. The problem of ethnic social distancing is that we never even have the chance to learn from a different perspective because we've limited our personal interactions and our networks over time until the voices and perspectives that we hear are already just like our own. And that leaves us vulnerable to bad thinking and confirmation bias. I want to share a quick exercise with you. And I think this can be extremely helpful in visualizing how diverse your personal and social network really is. I learned this when serving on a review panel for a diversity training that is now being taught in private business and on military bases in Oklahoma. What you're going to need is a plate 
and two kinds of candy, something like Boston baked beans and lemon heads. Really, any kind of candy will do so long as they're about the same size and the two different candies are consistent in color. So put one lemon head in the center of the plate and that symbolizes you. Now, you're gonna start adding one piece of candy for each of the following types of people who are in your life. And if the person resembles you, maybe in race or socioeconomic status, and I would even add political persuasion, then add another lemon head to the plate. But if they are not like you, then put a Boston baked bean. Now, here's the list of people for you to think about. First, immediate family members or people who live in your home. Second, people who live in the homes immediately around yours. Now, people who live in your neighborhood. Then think about your close personal friends, the people you talk to on a regular, maybe even daily basis. Now think of your extended friend network. Still good friends, but not quite in that inner circle of your close personal friends. Now think about your work colleagues. Now the people who are working in your company or in your industry. What about your dentist or your doctor? Now, if you're part of a faith congregation, the leader of the faith community or church that you're part of. Now think about the other members of your faith congregation. Well, by now, you can start to easily see on the plate how diverse your network really is. This roundtable on race doesn't just look at the issue of ethnic social distancing, but it also offers practical things you can do about it. If you look on your plate and you can see, well, my network really is pretty homogenous or it's not really that diverse. Well, what can I do about it? Take a listen to this panel conversation because you're going to hear practical everyday advice and steps that you can begin putting into practice in your life today. Well, let's jump into the first part of this roundtable on race with Kevin and Sarah Stitt, Governor and First Lady of Oklahoma. When Leaders Matter, How Civility, Integrity, and the Leaders We Need Are Possible by Dr. Joel W. Harder. Forward, written by Oklahoma Governor Kevin Stitt. And when Leaders Matter, Chaplain Joel Harder presents a three-step approach to engage leaders and restore the civility we need in our politics while promoting the integrity we need in our leaders. When that happens, leaders will be able to work and inspire our communities, states, and nation to address the real problems we are facing and navigate a way forward that will benefit all of us. When Leaders Matter, how civility, integrity, and the leaders we need are possible. Available now on Amazon.com, Barnes and Noble, and BarnesandNoble.com. You know, I appreciate the way each of you serve our state and our communities. Uh, it was on Sarah and I's heart really to start a discussion, and we thought this would be a great opportunity to help navigate some heavy issues that are uh, affecting our state and our communities right now. Uh, I have been really impressed uh, by the uh, the and grateful really for the, for the leaders in our African-American communities um, who are organizing peaceful and thoughtful uh, demonstrations and movements for change. 
Um, I've also been heartened by our law enforcement, uh, who I believe have handled this situation better than any other state, so thank you for that. Um, but I know we have room for improvement, and that's also why I believe we're here today. I wanted to take a moment uh, to truly listen, uh, and I really wanted to invite Oklahomans to join me in listening. Uh, Sarah and I put together a few questions that we would like to uh, maybe open up and start creating some dialogue. Uh, it, we believe that uh, uh, this is the, the start to help promoting healing uh, in our state and to learn what we can all start doing uh, to create opportunities uh, for a better future. So I'd like to introduce first uh, the folks that are here with me today, the leaders in our communities. Uh, we've got Clarence Hill down on the end, who's the founder of Stronger Together. Uh, Clarence is a strong and, and needed voice for racial reconciliation conversations in Oklahoma. Uh, we have uh, Chief Todd Gibson, who's the chief of police at, uh, at Moore Police Department. Uh, we have Captain Marcus Williams from the Cleveland County Sheriff's Department. Thank you for being here. And we have uh, Pastor Herbert Cooper, uh, pastor of People's Church in Oklahoma City. And uh, Pastor Cooper leads a large and diverse congregation uh, in both Oklahoma City and I understand also in Indianapolis. So thank you guys so much for, for joining, us, uh, joining us today. Uh, so my first question I have for you, Pastor Cooper, um, can you share with us about your perspective of what you have seen unfold in our state and across the nation over the last week uh, with these demonstrations? Yes, uh, I just think all that's transpired really over the last week and the last several weeks, um, uh, I guess for me has created a lot of emotion. Um, uh, I would say I've had a wide variety of emotions from, uh, you're, you're just looking at all of, the, all of the tension. I've had, you know, anger, frustration, um, hurt, um, confusion, um, so fear, <laughs> uh, so just a lot of emotions that, that I have just encountered myself. And uh, I would say that out of those emotions and me processing and, and thinking, and it's caused me to reflect on my own experiences. And uh, there have been times I have even been, been devalued because of my own skin color. And so just, just thinking about that, processing that, uh, even at a deeper level because what's happening in our nation right now. And um, I, I can remember my wife and I, we, as you said, we pastor a, a diverse church and um, there was a, a, a white family that started to attend our church and they came for, um, you know, two or three months or so. And um, they, they said, we love the church and we, we love the, the, the kids ministry and the teaching and preaching and the, and the worship. And um, it was, um, we, we noticed a two or three weeks or so in a row, we, we didn't see them in church. And my wife had a conversation with, 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 with the other wife. And she had mentioned that uh, with a very downcast face, face she said that um, we're not going to be able to continue to attend people's church. My husband is uncomfortable uh, being around this many black people. And those words as a black man really um, just creates hurt, uh, pain, to feel like someone doesn't want to be around me because of the color of my skin, uh, that we couldn't worship together because of the color of my skin. And I think the part of being uncomfortable is what we 
what, we, what this is all about is we all can feel uncomfortable being around people that are different than us, have a different worldview than us, different skin color than us. And I just really believe we got to press past being uncomfortable and engage in conversation because it's in conversation and that's not always easy, but it's in conversation. Even what we're doing today, conversation then creates some relationship. Wow. And out of relationship, we get understanding. And that's what I'm hoping that all of Oklahoma in this season that we're in, that we really engage in conversation, create relationship, and that relationship will create understanding. And we've got to do that no matter the color of our skin or our political party, our socioeconomic status, we got to create conversation because without it, without that understanding, we start to prejudge. Mm -hmm. And that's called prejudice. And that's where we can really end up with a divide instead of uniting to solve Oklahoman's problems. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Anybody have a follow-up comment? Uh, okay, let me go. Say I, lo I love the comments, uh, Pastor, and, and I think that the conduit of influence is relationships. And so if we want to change anything, uh, I, I wholeheartedly agree with your point. It's about building relationships. So thank you for saying that. Thank you. Clarence, uh, you wrote a really important op-ed this week. Uh, in it, you said, the reality of injustice and pain that many people of color have tried for years to communicate is now being heard at a greater level. I really like that. You know, what do you think has kept us from hearing this message and what can elected officials like myself do to build stronger bridges? I think that the question itself is gonna lead us right to where we need to be because um, empathy is the word. It's that ability to share in the feelings or the hurt of someone else. But it's hard to do that in our world today when a lot of times the national media drives such a politically divided conversation. So much so that in the past uh, five, six years, as these racial incidents have kind of come back up, I remember the statements in 2014, 15, and 16 was like, is this really happening in 2015? Is this really happening in 2016, and um, the, the sad part about that was, for those of us who are people of color, who have already shared in these stories at our dinner tables, shared in these stories at our family reunions, um, we already knew that these things were happening, but even uh, we had to mourn, we had to grieve, we had to suffer that pain amongst ourselves. The interesting thing about this George Floyd situation it is the first time where I've seen such a massive amount of empathy come especially from the white community that formerly was saying, hey, just get over it. Mm. Hey, are you sure you're not too stuck in the past? What's the big deal? And boy, we've seen empathy. So through the past few years, I'll take you back to 2016. It was an election year and the same kind of thing happened. Uh, Alton Sterling and Philando Castile unarmed black men were killed by officers. Then uh, later, five police officers were killed in a, in a revenge act uh, for, of the Dallas police officers. It was just a horrible moment in our history. But man, it was interesting. The first two, when, when, when the first two unarmed black men died, one group population in, in America was upset and, and ready to want to make their voices heard. And another group was quiet. Then when the five police officers 
were killed. Then the, the, the other group, they woke up and they were upset and they were being vocal about our officers. We wanna get to a place where it's all seven, where we as a people together, we mourn for all seven. And so through the years, I've seen a certain group of people that have been, quote, waking up faster than others. And so I did my own little research. I can't tell you that I did a, a, a big uh, study on this, but most of the people that could understand before this George Floyd situation, there were people who had a black friend or a person of color in their lives as a friend somewhere in their history. And typically they stayed in touch, maybe even once or twice a year, but their relationship had gone to a level where if they heard a news clip, even if they saw it differently, they had the ability to say, hey, 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 Sh hey, Chief Todd, tell me how you saw that situation. Like, Chief Todd and I, we could do that. We could call one another and say, hey, George Floyd's situation, how'd that hit you? How'd that hit you? But their relationship opened the eyes. So what we've done in the Stronger Together movement is simply set up principles and values that we believe will help drive us or, or, or lead us into unity. And one of the big ones is this. Do... As a leader, uh, as those who lead our businesses, lead our schools, lead our universities, I always ask the leaders, do you have a personal friend who can give you eyes to see and a heart to feel that situation? Because there are some things, if, if I'm talking to a parent who's adopted a child or has taken on a drug baby, they can explain it to me all they want to and I won't feel it. But if they're my friend, I'll feel it instantly. So, good. so it's relationship that I would say for all leaders to have relationship, personal relationship with someone and then maybe a, a, a group of people who can help us serve the communities in Oklahoma together and be eyes for the people that they grew up with and that they know. That is so good the way you just explained that. And then um, how do we develop those relationships and those friendships? Do you, uh, do you have any specific suggestions because uh, sometimes we get caught in our rut about just hanging out with people from work or whatever. How, how, do, we, how do we reach across and, and meet people maybe that uh, uh, we wouldn't normally meet? And then, and then how do we keep developing those relationships? Absolutely, great question. First thing I would say is let's just start with step one. Step one is you probably go to a certain world, a gas station, grocery store, et cetera. And usually what we do without knowing it is that we build a, a life, I call, a, call it a palace, where our world becomes homogenous. And even if there are other people that don't look like us there, we, we get this selective sight and we don't even see them, so we don't even greet them. So number one, I would just say, begin to greet people that don't look like you. The second thing I would say now, take yourself and get into spaces where there are people that don't look like you and even get bold, go into a space where you're the minority and just begin to engage and hopefully soon you'll be able to get into a space where you can um, possibly be invited to the dinner table with someone and open up uh, yourself and especially for parents. It's a great thing to help our children recognize that the future of America is very ethnically diverse. And let's not set our children up to have the same walls and blockages and blind spots that we have. I think what, what, what you just expressed is so critical, and that is intentionality. It, it yes. won't, you won't gravitate naturally into relationships that, into relationship circles that make you uncomfortable. 
So you have, we have to all be intentional, but it is the way forward, just all being intentional of building relationships because relationships are just so critical to building bridges and tearing down walls. Absolutely. The, the only thing I would add, because you're right, they don't happen naturally. That's right. And that's one of the biggest questions that we receive uh, from our white friends. They're like, I'm admitting I don't have anyone, I don't have anywhere to start there are several organizations, and I believe even after this season here in Oklahoma, there'll be a lot more spaces. Get with a group that has conferences, that hosts events where you can be in spaces together and even get bold. Go to a, and I, I joke about it, but I say go to a church where you have to keep the beat. You know, go somewhere <laughs> where you feel a little bit uncomfortable. And, and, and I've learned that most Oklahomans are very welcoming and yeah. open. If we can ever get past our political positions and just be human beings, we're, we're great people. I would say be courageous, and even if you mess up, just keep trying because it matters. Yeah, that's so good. And you know, when you travel and you see other uh, states, other countries even, it just, it just increases your worldview, and it's the same thing by reaching across, meeting people that maybe don't look like you, and just having those dialogues. And when we, when we do it brother to brother, it just, it, 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 you just don't understand what you see on television. It's just so foreign sometimes because, uh, uh, so I just want to encourage Oklahomans to do that, to reach out. It's so important. Uh, let's, start, let's turn to some of the law enforcement, some of our folks here, uh, Chief Gibson and Captain Williams. Um, we've seen a lot of powerful images uh, of law enforcement uh, in Oklahoma praying uh, with and hugging those participating in demonstrations. I've loved that. I've seen that on television. Um, you know, how have recent events affected you, uh, your work, and our law enforcement community? You want me to go first? Um, well, Governor, um, the word that keeps coming to my mind over and over again is um, I'm saddened. I'm sad. Uh, I feel like um, as a career field, as a law enforcement officer, um, who has devoted my life to serving others, uh, to protecting others, to putting service before self in so many different ways. And we've come so far uh, since the times of Ferguson and, and we've learned so much from that and really uh, have strived to increase our connection, our trust, our legitimacy uh, within the community and to watch it all uh, go away in the matter of just seconds because of an atrocity uh, that sickens not only police officers, but sickens everybody that sees it. And so right now there is an element of sadness uh, to me, but there's hope in conversation like this. There's hope in, in having friends like uh, uh, Clarence uh, in my corner, in our corner, that we can learn from and grow from. And uh, to quote Clarence, we truly are stronger together. And we're never going to overcome this because it's not an us versus them issue. It's an us issue. It's a not police versus everyone else. This is a community issue uh, that involves law enforcement. And law enforcement uh, has come a long way, uh, but we absolutely have a long way to go. Excellent. Yeah, it's kind of the same thing to echo what the chief said. You know, for me, it's, it's frustrating. Um, it's saddening, um, especially for me with, with young kids uh, that I have and knowing that if we don't get to an understanding that we have a problem 
to, to try to sit down and figure out what's going on, then history we know repeats itself over and over and over. And um, to, to just sit and see it and have them looking at it on TV or whatever, it's, it's, it's frustrating because why, why are we here? Enough has happened that you think we know by now, but clearly we don't. But um, I'm hopeful that uh, through communication, we can figure it out. Uh, it's time to uh, come to the table and talk and not only talk, but listen uh, through every different types of people that we can get together to get to some kind of common ground to do better. We have to do better. Excellent. I know I loved what you said. It's not really an us versus them because I think that's how it's viewed everywhere. But learning to communicate with the community that this is a community issue. And in Oklahoma, we want something different. And it's that standard. And I know you in law enforcement are constantly trying to communicate that. But what we need to do as a community is come around and link arms, community leaders, law enforcement, the general public, and gather together because I think that's a powerful statement. It is an us issue. It's an Oklahoma issue. And we want a different standard here in our state. And I think as we began to wake in the conversation, and there are people that are just caught in their own little um, just their own little life. We're all guilty of falling into our patterns, as you said. And we have to wake up and look around if we want change for the next generations of our state. And that's what's so exciting to hear these conversations that it is possible, but it's gonna take all of us. It can't just be the four of you. We all have to come around. Every walk of life has to come around and say, I too am gonna raise my hand and put throw my hat in the ring to make a difference. And that's what I love hearing those statements of an us issue. And I think the more we can promote that, the more we can talk about that in a unrestricted, open conversation. Because people obviously, as even a child avoids what is painful. And we've developed that mentality in our state with the race issue and in our country. And the more we talk about it and make it open, it becomes less pain painful. The opening is less hard. And I believe then we will begin to see the community involvement and people caring that maybe weren't even aware, which is hard to say. But it is, it is going on. Yes, ma'am. In, in law enforcement, we welcome it. Um, we want our community to be involved, to be a part of us. We are a part of them. And it, there shouldn't be a distinction between the police officer and the, and the community member or the resident. We are the people and the people are the police. And so we are together on this. And, you know, it takes change. But one thing I have never really seen be productive is violence. Mm -hmm. And there is anger and that anger is justified. And people see life through different lenses. Yes. All four of us see yes. life through different lenses based on our past experience, based on where we grew up and our, and our upbringing. And that's okay. That's one of the things that makes us great as a state and great as a country. But where the disconnect comes and what we have to do is to take that anger and turn it into something productive, not that's violence, right. and come right. together and open up that communication where I can see through his lenses. That's I don't right. have to agree with his lenses. I don't have to live my life through his lenses, but I need to understand that he sees life through a different set of lens That's right. than I. So good because it's important that we hear each other's stories mm -hmm. um, because uh, there's power in our stories. There's no arguing our stories. That's right. You know, my story is my story, your story is your story, and 
all of our stories and perspective and our experiences are valid. And we got to now lean in and learn from it. You know, I can learn from your perspective. You know, I, I, can, I can learn from your stories and you, and you can learn from mine. And all of our stories are so important, so critical to, to be heard, mm-hmm. to be leaned into. And then let's learn from each other. Yeah. You, you know, division hurts everybody and it devalues. And, you know, I, I believe by coming to the table and hearing stories, we're, we're humanizing the conversation again. So I want to boast on Chief Todd. He came to our church to, to speak to our staff. And so this, to me, is the extra stuff that you wouldn't expect because he was a Cleveland County sheriff. And so at the time it was Sheriff Gibson. And so I stand him up in front of the staff, and they're looking at me like, why did you bring a sheriff to a church staff meeting? And while we were getting prepared, I was asking uh, at the time, Sheriff Gibson, I said, how are you doing? He said, the last 24 hours, as usual, have been kind of wild. And he named three distinct incidents. I believe one was even a child having a loss of life and um, the level of trauma and stress that our officers have to endure is, is something that we won't hear at a time like this. That's why when you start talking about a race conversation, for those who've had family members who are in the military or in the police, they feel like you are speaking down to officers. I believe we've got to be big enough to hear both sides of the story. Mm. We're not saying that the story of people of color and that pain is to negate the pain and the real story of a man who has children himself. You know, we both have children and we're thinking about this conversation. We're like, okay, Dr. King has passed the baton to the next generations. Are we going to give the baton to our children further down the road or are we going to be stuck? So we all have these these values that could drive us to tears when no one's looking. But I, wanna, I want to bring out that point because a lot of times people are like, don't, if you mention the term race, I don't want to hear it. But I do want to say we all value what our officers have done. I can tell you personally that um, even in Oklahoma City, a lot of work has been done. It doesn't mean we're all the way down the road to where we want to be, but building relationship in the community and me as a black male, to this day, the more I personally speak to a, an officer with their uniform on, I can feel something inside of me shifting mm. and reminding myself, this is a human being. This is a human being. This is Get Derek Chauvin's knee on George Floyd's neck. Don't put that picture on all of the men and women who serve us. Great point. And, and that's important that you say that because me being a black man myself and also wearing a badge, you know, it's important that people do understand that one actions of one person doesn't reflect everybody. Um, I can tell you there's not an officer in the vast majority that wakes up every day and say, I'm gonna go to work and I'm gonna do something to someone. Um, We're not in control of uh, situations that we're presented with, but we do our control of ourself and our emotions and everything else that goes into effect before we do something. But what you say to to understand that you, you see that person with that uniform that you have a more of a connection with that to understand yourself that this doesn't this isn't a representation of what one action was caused by one person and that that, that means a lot. Well, like everybody in in uh, America, we saw that video. I saw the video 
of what happened in Minnesota. And, and, it, and it's right that those people are being held accountable. Uh, my, my question is, you know, I wanted to ask our law enforcement agencies, um, what can we do to support our law enforcement as well as our African-American community here in, in Oklahoma? So what happened in Minnesota never happens in the state of Oklahoma. And I want to, you know, have you guys kind of opine on that. Governor, I just think that, you know, we just have to understand at a level across culture, we have to understand there's different aspects to different situations by culture. And we can't be afraid to talk about it. Um, fear draws people to do different things, but we have to come together and talk about it. Um, like the chief said, this it, it's, it's us. It's everybody. Um, I don't ever want to see anything like that happen here, but you know, um, we have to do everything that we can at, at, with what we know right now to, to prevent those things from happening. But we have to have a better understanding. Uh, like he used the terms of different lenses. We have to see things. People from different ethnic groups or backgrounds perceive things differently, and we have to understand that. Um, I started my law enforcement career up in Langston, up in Northeast Logan County. It's, it's a lot of African-American people there. Um, but, you know, to bring other officers in from other races that would perceive something different because of someone yelled or they, they responded differently than what they were used to seeing, you know, those officers went on to be great officers because they had that, 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 that level of, of being in a diverse environment. So maybe if, if we are getting different types of uh, people who want to do this job, that are qualified to do this job, and putting them in different communities to understand um, from their own experiences to interject that into something else, that maybe we don't have to keep repeating this, this same thing over and over. Uh, excellent points. Um, I think there's some tactical or some um, specific tangible things that we can do, Governor. Uh, we can talk about... Uh, training, mm -hmm. you know, increased training. Uh, we train a lot on firearms and driving and high liability areas, but we really need to train on engaging the mind and de-escalation and cultural diversity and engage the brain and training on viewing through those lenses. But at the end of the day, you can provide all the equipment, you can provide all the training that you want to, it really boils down to internal culture. Mm. What is leadership setting as an internal expectancy? What is an internal uh, expectancy on culture, how we treat people? And it's no different than, than running a customer service business. How do employees treat the customer? And we see some great companies that have really great customer service and they, that they're intentional about it. In law enforcement, we are in the people business, we are in the customer service business, and we can train and we can equip, but if leadership within does not put priority on it, then when it filters down out into the service delivery level, it's not gonna be effective. And so really, one of the key components to us moving forward in the law enforcement community is getting the right leaders in place, uh, and setting the proper culture internally so that when we go deliver service externally, that carry that proper culture, that proper expectancy carries out. And I don't mean cultural from a race standpoint, I'm talking from an industry or a business, an internal 
standpoint of what's accepted, what's prioritized, and, and what do we stand for? I, I have, oh, go ahead. I have a follow-up to that. As I was listening to both of you speak, I think about how much we talk about now about support um, for the military, people coming um, out of the military or out of active duty. And I think about the police officers and law enforcement in the same position. What can we do better to support? Because you guys are in high-stress environments. A lot of you, depending on where you're serving, what can we do better to serve and help support? And maybe that goes back to your internal culture of making sure your officers are being taken care of at every level with, with mental health support and trauma training and all those things. But is there anything community-wise that we could do better to help support the officers and the law enforcement uh, in our state? Uh, well, you're, uh, you're exactly spot on, uh, First Lady. This job, it takes a psychological toll on anyone that has done it. Um, there are calls that I'm sure Captain Williams has the same that I've gone on that are just as fresh in my mind as mm -hmm. the moment that it happened. And they're yes. lifetime scars. Mm -hmm. And every so often something comes around that scrapes that scab off and it just comes right back. And this job will change you as a person. And I can't really describe it other than to say, uh, you know, Clarence mentioned that I had just gone down a couple of things that ha happened in the last 24 hours and that, that take that psychological toll. And I can just tell you, just even sitting here today, um, nine o'clock last night, I'm notified of a, of a baby that's got, you know, broken arm, two skull fractures and, and significant abuse. Well, the officer, that, that's me hearing about it. And it's, it's, tragic and it's terrible, but it's mundane and daily. Mm. And there's officers out there dealing with it and seeing it and being engrossed in it. And then sometimes your cup, even the most healthy cup, gets full mm -hmm. and starts to spill over. So mental health uh, training, mental health emphasis on uh, police officers and the job that they do is extremely important. But your question was, what can the community do. Mm -hmm. And it goes back to what I said earlier, whether it's uh, attacking uh, this race issue, whether it's attacking this mental health issue, one of the most important things our community can do is to get involved with their local law enforcement. Let them know that they're there. Let them know they support uh, law enforcement. And there's some places, some communities that are really strong at it. Mm -hmm. And there's some places that have room to improve. Thank you. I think for the most part, even down in Cleveland County, you know, being there with, with our mission of courageously protecting and compassionately serving, it works. I see it every day as a commander of a division where my people are engaged with the public every day. Uh, I see it. These guys are compassionately serving and they're courageously protecting every day. So um, to, to be able to know that and you see it everywhere you can come around the sheriff's office to have that constant reminder that that's what we're about and it's not just saying it, it's doing it. And uh, just making people be accountable to it. And um, like, you know, doing it and not just making it be something that's on the wall, but you're actually right. doing it. Right, actually implementing those strategies. Thank you. And, and you know, after the last few years, I'm, I'm just so humbled when I see sons and daughters of a community 
raise their hand and volunteer to serve mm -hmm. in, in the capacity of a law enforcement officer with what goes on in the media, what they see on mm -hmm. TV, what happens in some communities. It is very humbling and very honoring that we still have men and women mm -hmm. willing to go out and put strangers ahead of themselves to serve. And I'm just thankful for that. I would like to add, I think that the more we can create spaces, because I believe a lot of leaders are watching too, and they want to impact the conversation like right away. And I think that if it's a church or a business that can help create spaces where the community can be where they're, where they're around officers so that they can hear the character and hear the stories right. and see maybe even the children of those who serve us in uniform sometimes, out of uniform sometimes, in different atmospheres, it changes everything. Because now it's not the cop, now it's officer so-and-so. Right. And it's sometimes it's just a 10 second engagement, it's just a look and versus what I just saw on the news. Because the right. news is powerful, it takes that one situation and now I can't imagine the tension mm -hmm. around every police officer driving through Minneapolis right now. Absolutely. So even the good ones have to wear that. So the more we can have leaders who are proactive, who can partner with uh, great leaders like these on this uh, platform here to engage, create spaces in tons of creative ways, we can make Oklahoma even greater than we are right now. I just have to insert here because I think what you're saying is so critical. Um, even last night at our church, we had a race panel because of what's happening, how this, this racial tension is escalating. And on the panel, we had a police officer. And it was, it, it's a win because um, the officer was able to share his perspective, his heart, um, what he's feeling. Uh, uh, the, the, the congregation's able to engage and versus just what you see on television. <laughs> now you're able to hear from a human being with a soul, with a story, with a family, you know, and then he's able to, 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 to look out and see, okay, everybody doesn't hate me, <laughs> right? Just, so I just think what you're saying, that community engagement is, is so important on both sides. And I, mean, and I, I think these are the pastor's three points and a poem at the end. Am I doing yeah. it right now? But, but this, this point I, I think is a big deal. Um, the African-American community has a history of injustice um, and not being protected by the justice system. Now you have that history that was passed down to us so that even growing up in Iowa, we all kind of holding our breath when we drive through small towns because you knew don't get pulled over in a small town. So generationally it's passed down to us that we're starting off from a negative position. And now we're hearing today about the trauma and the stress that officers can carry and then that collides. So to me, great leadership is going after and being proactive in situations. Yeah. Man, this is, this is fantastic. You know, uh, Chief Gibson, you talked about culture inside the police departments and applied the sheriff's offices. Is there, is there how do we make sure that happens throughout the state of Oklahoma? Because we all, as Oklahomans, uh, and I love you said, this is human beings. These are people, these are Oklahomans with families. And we saw what happened in Minnesota. And again, I can't underscore that enough. We don't ever want that to happen in our state. That's why we're here. So, you know, my friends in the House, the Senate, 
If, is there anything legislatively that we could do to make sure that diversity training in our police departments, our sheriff departments, um, uh, de-escalation training, is there anything that you need from elected officials uh, to help promote that culture besides these conversations we're talking about? Is there anything that, that I can go back and, the, and our House and Senate members that are watching can, can take to, uh, uh, to get done to help push that culture that you're talking about? Well, you know, leaders, there are some natural components uh, to all leaders. Uh, but a lot of leadership is developed. And uh, law enforcement, we spend a lot of time on different certain areas, but we don't spend a lot of time or effort on developing true leaders mm -hmm. within the uh, industry, if you will. We have great leaders at uh, uh, police departments across the state and at sheriff's offices across the state, but we don't, we aren't as intentional in seeking out and uh, looking for leadership. If, if I were to, to give any advice uh, to legislators uh, of what they could do, I would shy away obviously from unfunded mandates because um, there are always financial constraints to everything that we do. Um, but what I would maybe look at doing is increasing standards. Um, the standard to become a police officer uh, for some places is very high and other places is not very high. And if we want to uh, say that we are a profession because we profess to be professionals, there are standards for that. And right now in the state of Oklahoma, those standards are, are relatively low. Uh, if you're gonna go be a doctor, there's a, there's a pretty high standard for that. If you're gonna go uh, be a lawyer, there's a very high standard for that. If you're gonna go be a police officer, well, you might go to this agency that has a very high standard and this agency has zero standard at all. And so legislatively, if I were going to offer up suggestions, it would be what can we do to increase the standard to becoming a police officer? And, the, and that increased standard, the higher standard, hopefully will increase quality. Thank you for listening to The Leaders We Need with Joel Harder, a podcast from Oklahoma Capital Culture. Oklahoma Capital Culture is a nonprofit organization shaping a culture of civility, integrity, and servant leadership among policymakers through nonpolitical and nonpartisan engagement. Learn more about Oklahoma Capital Culture and how you can help shape the leadership culture at www.capitalculture.com. Original music heard on The Leaders We Need, provided by Scott Allen Matthews at mypodcastmusic.com.